May mercy and grace and peace be yours from God our Father, through his Son, his only Son, his promised Son, Jesus the Christ. It's not green eggs and ham, which is Dr. Seuss's all-time bestseller. It's not the cat in the hat, which was made into both a movie and a musical. It's not hop on pop or one fish, two fish, red fish, blue fish, both of which I read innumerable times to our children when they were younger. The one I'm thinking of for our Advent theme is, Oh, the places you'll go. We're reading from Isaiah each of these Sundays of Advent. As I said last week, our Old Testament readings will take us to places, perhaps where we've never been, but oh, the places we will go as watching and preparing people who are waiting to go to Bethlehem. May the Holy Spirit give us attentive ears and expectant hearts this day to ponder the word of God with the theme of the place of Advent this week from the stump. People God dearly loves. I'll repeat my words from my sermon on the first Sunday of Advent. Isaiah is God's prophet 700 years before the birth of Christ. Isaiah speaks out God's word to rebellious Judah and to unfaithful Jerusalem. The nations surrounding Judah and Israel will be judged, and so will God's covenant people. For they have trusted foreign kings for their security. They have knelt in worship in front of pagan gods. So Isaiah's message is judgment, yet it is grace. Isaiah's message is condemnation, yet it is mercy. Isaiah's message is disobedience, yet it is comfort. Isaiah's message is brokenness, yet it is hope. Isaiah's message is the law, and Isaiah's message is the gospel. The language of today's reading from chapter 11 begins with death. Because this is the language at the end of chapter 10. I'm going to read verses 33 and 34. Behold, the Lord God of hosts will lop the boughs with terrifying power. The great in height will be hewn down and the lofty will be brought low. He will cut down the thickets of the forest with an axe and Lebanon will fall by the majestic one. This is God's judgment. The once powerful nations around Israel will be cut down. God will act with terrifying power. The highest trees will tumble. Even the great cedars of Lebanon will fall with a crash. Picture Yellowstone National Park, not this past summer with all the rains and the floods, but Yellowstone in 1988. On the last day of June, lightning sparked the first fire of dozens of almost 200. From that point on, in the driest summer ever, numerous lightning strikes and constant high winds ignited a devastating firestorm. On a single day, there were as many as 9,000 firefighters battling the blazes. 
When it was over in September, almost 800,000 acres of the park's 2.2 million acres had burned. I had to convert that to square miles. It's 1,250 square miles more than the state of Rhode Island. Can God's fallen creation survive an attack this vast and vicious? Can blackened tree trunks and scorched prairies recover? Connie and I and our children visited Yellowstone in the summer of 1998. Kristen and Liesel and Joel and Michaela saw the amazing beauty of that wonderful place. Yes, the damage from the fires of the summer of 88 was still evidence. The spars, the tall, limbless, scorched trunks of the lodgepole pines were now falling. But 10 years later, there was green everywhere. That's the image I see in Isaiah 11. For here is God's promise to the faithful remnant. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. How will God keep this interesting, perhaps even puzzling promise? From desolation around his people, from destruction within his chosen people, God will do something new, for he has not abandoned his people. He will restore his people. He will return them from exile, from a seemingly dead stump, from the stump of Jesse, the father of that shepherd king from Bethlehem. From this line of rulers who followed King David, but who were often unfaithful, God will bring life. A shoot, small and tender, but green and vibrant, will begin to grow. From buried and hidden roots, there will be a branch stronger than a shoot, and this branch will mature and bear fruit. Notice this, my Advent brothers and sisters in Christ. The shoot and the branch are a person, the same person. That's why they are capitalized beneath the picture hanging over the water fountains out in the entranceway. Verse 2 of Isaiah 11 declares that the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The promised shoot, the promised branch, will be anointed by the Holy Spirit. Look ahead to a baptism different than the one, the the ones first happening in today's gospel, but soon after a baptism in the Jordan River. And his delight, this one that the Spirit rests upon, shall be in the fear of Yahweh. He will act as God's servant. He will judge his people with righteousness. He will act with Act with equity, which means with perfect fairness toward the meek. But he will also act with terrible but deserved judgment toward those who reject him and reject his calling. Just who is this shoot? Who is this branch? Who is this servant? Who is the ultimate life from the almost dead root of Jesse? Who is the greater king? 
than great King David. He is the one John the baptizer announced. He is the one John is swinging an axe for, cutting down the trees of unbelief and pride, throwing unfruitful and barren trees into the fire. Who is this shoot? Who is this branch? He is the one John prepared the way for. He is the one who brings a new kingdom. He is the one who will be mightier than John, for this baptizer for repentance can't even carry the sandals of the promised Messiah. There are trees from the beginning of Holy Scripture to its end. Maybe I should say it this way. There is one tree from the beginning to the end of Holy Scripture. At the center of the Garden of Eden, God planted the tree of life. He invited our first parents to eat and enjoy its fruit. Sadly, Adam and Eve also tasted from the forbidden tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and were banished from paradise. But a promise, Genesis 3.15, echoed in their ears and in their hearts And the promise was kept, a Savior, the seed of the woman, was given on the first Christmas. And Jesus began a journey, a journey he must take from the manger to the cross. Our Lord went willingly to that tree, the tree of death, to the tree of condemnation, to the tree of the cross. He suffered, he bled. He died. And from that splintered stump came life. A life of forgiveness from every sin. A life of freedom from the prison of guilt. For Jesus Christ is the true vine. The ever-living vine. The life-giving vine. The fruit-producing in us vine. And God's word holds a final promise. A final promise of return from exile for all the saints, for us. The last chapter of Revelation has this vision given to John. The angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month, The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. That glorious vision echoes and confirms the rest of Isaiah 11. In the new creation, a wolf and a lamb will live side by side. A leopard and a young calf will sleep next to each other, as will a calf and a lion, a cow and a bear will graze together. A lion and an ox will eat out of the same feed trough. And a newborn child shall play over a cobra's hole, and a weaned child will reach out to touch an adder's den. What hope an Eden, a new Eden prophesied, We're going to sing that yet in this divine service. For we rejoice on this Advent Sunday at the place that we go. The place 
where we witness the shoot coming forth from a dead stump and the place we go with God's redeemed people where our king is crowned with eternal glory. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.